You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a podcast that's all about supporting parents as they bring up children. We've got experts and advice to help you through the more challenging bits of parenting. I'm Siobhan Hunt. As a new mum, there's a lot to get used to. A baby to look after, a lifestyle completely changed. For Megan Blanford, her first baby signalled the start of a long relationship with postnatal depression, one that wasn't properly diagnosed until her first baby was eight years old. Her book, I'm Fine and Other Lies, tells the story of how it's possible to suffer so long in silence. Hi, Megan. How are you? Hi, Siobhan. Does it ever surprise you to look back and see the length of time that you actually endured PND? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, when you think about it logically, it's it sounds really odd, doesn't it? To it's say almost I a went decade, through this isn't it? Yeah, for so many years. And I guess there were there were dips and troughs through that time. So there were times when I could absolutely say, Look, I think I'm I think I'm gonna be okay now. Um and then would dip again. And so it just kind of went on like that where I was um able to to convince myself at points that it would be okay, you know, I'm fine. And then it would be, you know, but you look back. Hindsight. Hindsight shows you that it's really important to reach out in in those times. And it is amazing what we put up with because Mm. I've said before, I've I've had anxiety. And um, for me, the answer to managing that was medication, but I denied for probably 20 years that it was serious enough to try medication. And yet when I look back now, the level of suffering I went through Mm. is just mind-blowing that I could have actually done something back then. Yeah. That's 20 years. It's longer than I (laughs) did. Now that I think of it. It adds up quick, doesn't it? It does. And... But you do, you do, you go through and when you're, when you're in the middle of something, sometimes it's hard to stop and, and look at it objectively and realise what it is that you need. Uh, I think for me, there was also a case of wondering whether I kind of deserved help or uh, was, you know, like, like you say, was I bad enough to require help? Um, certainly now I can, I can see and I I say to people it doesn't have to be you don't have to be at the worst end of something like depression or anxiety to deserve help or to to be able to access help. And when you say deserve help as well it brings to mind what I think is a reason many women don't reach out is that they look at their lives and say I have a loving partner, Mm. I have supportive families, uh, my child is sleeping reasonably I've got nothing to complain about. Yeah, But mental health doesn't work like that, does it? Exactly right. And that's exactly what I would say to myself. You know, I have... I have everything I ever wanted and I tried so hard to have this baby and I've I've got her. And why aren't I happy with that? You know, I just need to push through and and, and suck it up, you know. Uh, But no, it doesn't... Mental health doesn't work like that. It can affect anyone. And if, if it's an illness as well, and people mm. like to make that comparison about how ready we are to um, seek help for a sore leg or a sore mm. throat, mm. Um, again, you can't always pinpoint logically where you got that sore throat or that sore leg, but you'll still get help for it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But because I guess it's it's so invisible 
And I mean, you tend to think, oh, but it's all in my head. Well, exactly. And that's the it's, worst part about it's it. Mental, <laughs> it's it's a, a mental illness. That doesn't mean that we can't get help and it doesn't mean that people won't help us just because they can't see it. There are so many people who understand. There are experts and professionals who understand and be able to help. And there are people in your own life. You know, when I when I finally said, hey, this is what's going on for me, you know, people were so supportive and really willing to help once they knew. How would you describe that period of your life now? Uh, it was, I mean, it was really up and down, you know. There, there were times where it was just the lowest of the low and times that were okay as well. You know, I had these, in the end, these two beautiful children and, you know, we had, we had a lot of fun times as well. Uh, but there was a lot of times where I wasn't able to enjoy things as much as, you know, I, I was quite numb in emotion. So I would, sometimes we'd be like on a holiday, for example, and I'd be sitting there thinking, I should be enjoying this. I should feel really happy right now. And I would notice that, but not quite feel it. Mm. If that makes any sense. Mm. There's a bit of distance there. Mm. Um, Was it difficult to revisit that pain when you wrote about it? Yeah. Yeah. It was really hard to own up to it. Uh, I didn't want to define myself as someone who had a mental illness. I didn't. I. I didn't want to have been diagnosed. I didn't want that to have been my experience. I really would have loved to have look, been able to look back and go, I had this great, this wonderful family, and I've enjoyed every minute of it. And which is what we kind of expect of ourselves. But. In owning my experience, I was able to get the right help so that I can move on and experience the rest of their childhoods as I would prefer to. Mm. Uh, And it's also a case of as hard as it was to own up to it, it was harder when I was trying to run away from it. That was more exhausting. Mm. Mm. In the book, you made several attempts to get help that were rebuffed, (laughs) even though you talk about um, the people around you feeling like you were telling them that you needed help, but you weren't actually articulating it. Mm. It was just this loud screaming in your head. Having said that, you did reach out to um, some people. Um, Do you think that that's changed now? Because your experience we're talking about 10 years ago now, do you think that had if you were in the same place today and reaching out to the same people, would you have had a different reaction or do you think there's still some Mm. professionals who don't understand how postnatal depression works? Yeah, quite possibly. I think what I would, what I would say to people now is if you do have that experience where you try to, to speak to, and I tried to speak to a GP and I did try to, try to, um, my husband forced me to call the mental health helpline at one point. Um, I think I would say to people now, if you try to reach out for that help and you don't get it, persist. Try someone else. 
And that's, I mean, that's easy for me to say now. It's hard when you're in it. But if the people around someone who's going through this sort of stuff as well can help them persist to find that help because there are absolutely uh, some who are more helpful than others. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, I'm thinking of some of the descriptions you um, write about in the book and it's clear that with everything going on in your head, when some people were just interacting with you normally, for example, your husband, you would find yourself just losing your patience and snapping mm. at them and generally being like um, you had premenstrual tension, PMT on <laughs> steroids. <the> <laughs> yes. um, and it, it, it recalls to me that a friend of mine who I didn't realize was going through postnatal depression, but at the time she was really difficult to be around. It was, Mm. I couldn't talk to her without feeling like she didn't really want to be talking to me or she was complaining about everything. And it, it felt like my first reaction to that was not to see that as a cry for help, but to go, Jesus, what's wrong with her? Yeah. Um, is that a, is that a sign? Do you think that someone needs help? And if, it's a change in character because she wasn't normally mm. like that. How do you approach a friend who is um, so engrossed in their mental pain yeah. that they are unconsciously pushing you away? Yeah, it's really hard. And I've certainly since been on on this other side where I've, se- I've seen people in my life go through some of this stuff and it's really hard to watch. Um, and look, there are limited things, I guess, that you feel you can do. I think for me, one of the things I wished was that people had just been there, you know, not necessarily done anything, but just kind of been with me as I came to to realise and accept what was going on. That's all I really wanted. You know, there were certainly people who were... Um, but yeah, it's Did really hard. Did anyone ever say to you, I know people said, look, I think you might need help, like your husband, yeah. and yeah. you're kind of like, I'm fine, I'm fine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's what the book's about. Yeah. Um, but would it have cut through had anyone said to you, Megan, you don't have to feel this way? Like what you're feeling yeah. now, you actually don't have to feel it. There's a way out. This is your way out. Because sometimes I wonder mm. if that had have worked for me with anxiety because I I kind of accepted it as my norm. And I wonder, had someone say, say to me, it's not normal and you can recover. Here's your way. Yeah. Do you think I, that well, would I have think meant? We, we assume that our, spe- our experiences of the world are normal and that that's what everyone goes through, unless you have a discussion that, you know, unless it reaches your attention that that's not the case. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, sometimes as a new mum, I mean, you don't know how you're supposed to feel, do you? And it because is it's all hard. New. And it's hard. So you're aware it's going to be hard and you're aware that sleep's going to be an issue and you're you're aware that you, you know, you might have some weird emotions and, and all of this. But so often people say, oh, yeah, yeah, but that's new motherhood. If you say, oh, this is, I'm finding this really challenging. Yeah, yeah, but you've got a baby. Of course you do. Have a bath. Yeah. <laughs> Go and light a candle. You feel better. You feel better, sorry. <laughs> so I think it is worth us getting into some deeper discussions and going, well, when you say it's hard, what, what do you mean? Or, you know, yeah, it doesn't have to be that way. It's, it, a, it's it, a great kind of circuit breaker, I think. And it seems to me um, the thing that, you know, reading this book, you're like, 
oh, Megan, <laughs> you didn't, oh, I don't want you to feel this way. But yeah. the thing that really strikes me with new motherhood is um, how incredibly hard it is and yet there is little recognition for how hard it is mm. in the general society because, like you say, they're like, oh, just, you know, get on with it and yeah. it is hard. It's hard for everyone. Okay, yeah. it's hard for everyone, but what about all the other people who aren't new mothers? Can't they come in yeah. and support women so that um, it's it becomes normal for you to have time off? It becomes normal for you to uh, take a walk. And obviously these things weren't going to stop you feeling postnatal mm. depression and that's a very mm. deep um, issue that you need to get through yeah. in different ways. Yeah. But but you're right. It's, you know, at other points in your life, you know, if you're saying I'm finding my job too challenging, if you say that to someone, someone will, you know, hopefully a, a good manager would step in and help you through that and give you some training or some support through that. some you know? of your work to yeah. someone else. But you say I'm finding motherhood too challenging. People say, yeah, yeah, you'll be right. Yeah, that's just yeah. what we all do. Yeah. Especially if they're older mothers. I did it without any help, so you can. Yeah. That that argument frustrates me. Oh, yeah. Because one person suffers, everyone else has to suffer. Yeah. Because I did it hard, you have to do it hard. You have to do the hard. No, you don't. Yeah. You really don't. We'll be back with more from Megan right after this. Sometimes parenting can be challenging and sometimes it can be a downright laugh. The wonderful thing about being a kid is having wonderment in your eyes, looking at the world and going... We've all pushed our children's poo (laughs) down the drain. Either way, it's fun to share stories with people who really understand the joys and sorrows of raising small children. I'm Siobhan Hunt and The Parent Panel is a weekly podcast I host where we invite a mum and a dad to discuss the events and stories of the week. The Parent Panel, available wherever you get your podcasts. You describe a lot of things in this book that I think would resonate with many women. Um, You mention uh, the inability to relax when you finally had downtime. Uh, (laughs) Like you mentioned being on holidays and thinking, I should enjoy this. Mm. But in reality, you're just in a different place doing the same stuff. Mm. Um, Dreading long days of being alone with a small child. Yes, I think there's one point where I talk about how it have been... You know, hours and hours I'd been on the floor playing with my toddler and I looked at the clock and it had been 10 minutes. <laughs> oh, what am I going to do with her for the rest of the day? <laughs> and you're not, not, it's not really au okay to admit to that, is it? Yeah. But these are it's realities a- of parenthood, mm. even if you're not suffering from a mental yeah, illness. exactly right. And I think that's the thing, you know, mums who have had depression or not, absolutely relate to some of these feelings of the frustration and the loneliness that's involved, uh, the change of your identity. Some of this stuff is just kind of universal. Um, I'm finding dads are really relating to it as well, and I think it's surprising me how much dads are getting it. I've had a few dads come up to me and say, I think I went through something like that. Mm. Um, And they feel even less able to talk about it than we do, which is, you know, a whole nother level. So, yeah, I think there's there's certainly a lot in there that's just, you know, mums are saying to me, how did you get into my head? <laughs> and you're like, oh, I'm kind of encouraged by that and also a bit sad. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's nice so to know experience. we're not. Yeah, it's nice to know we're not alone in it, but at the same time, it's a shame 
that we all have those, yeah, have to go through some of those experiences. Mm. You describe depression as something that stops you asking for help, that it kind of traps you inside this fog of your own mind. Um, How, in the end, did you break through that wall or how did your loved ones break through that wall to Mm. get through to you? And I think that's where the people in your life play such a huge role because, you know, for me, in in my head, it was, no, just keep going, just keep... Just keep swimming. Yeah. (laughs) Dora. (laughs) Um, So it it kind of takes the right conversation at at the right time and it it certainly took several efforts from my husband, my mum, you know, people who are close to me to say, you need help. And I would say, no, no, no. And look, I absolutely got to the depths. And by then, like you say, my kids were eight and four. And I was able to, when my husband sat me down and said, "You something really has to change. And I was able to I kind of have this flash of the last eight years and thought, yeah, yeah, it's too long now. It's time. I'm going to misquote Elizabeth Gilbert here, but uh, so a counsellor said to me that um, she said something along the lines of, I've never known anyone to transform transform their life until they were sick of their own bullshit. Mm. Which made a lot of sense to yeah. me because you really have to get to a point where you're so fed up with how yeah. you're living your life that you're like, no, I, I'm going to change. Yeah. And that can be like a light bulb moment, right? So yeah. for me, as I said, it was the decision to take medication. Mm. And I remember sitting with my GP and um, asking about St. John's wort <laughs> and whether the efficacy of that was going to match or would it be enough for me. Yeah. And that particular GP had probably told me for 20 years. She knew me really well. Mm. She told me for 20 years, you should try this. I think it'll make a big difference for you. Mm. No, 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 no. I don't yeah. want to do medication. And then she said it, and I kind of looked at her and I thought, you are a doctor. <laughs> You're not just a random doctor. You're a doctor who's seen me for mm. 20 years as I have tried different things. Maybe I should listen to you. I really feel for that woman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yes, yeah, sorry, all your many years of training <laughs> and your absolutely – um, divine care of me as a human being, not just my mm. physical health, but she always asked how I was going. Mm. Um, and it was just like a light bulb moment. And as soon as I stepped across to go, okay, okay, I need to own this. I really need to try this because someone I trust and admire has suggested it. Um, okay. And mm. it was like one step over and my life perspective changed. Was that a bit like was it a bit like that for you when you yeah. had that conversation with your husband and you went, yeah, I'm over the line. And it was kind of, it was a relief. And I think all of those years of resisting, reaching out and, and persisting with, with getting help, all of a sudden I went, I'm going to do this. And it was such a relief to just say that, to say, hey, I need some help. Um, and I guess I looked back and went, Oh, is that all I needed to do? That was that was easier than I thought it was going to be. Was part of that as well um, owning and accepting yeah. that you had a mental yeah. health illness? Yeah. You know, 
because I I wonder um, sometimes still I think oh I don't really accept that anxiety is something I get mm. I might still experience ang- moments of anxiety I might have a panic attack and straight away I'm denying it mm. I'm fighting it mm. and then afterwards I think that's just me why fight it so much so was part of the relief going owning it and saying yeah it's okay it's okay this is this is part of me this is part of uh my experience of the world and it's okay and lots of people go through this and so many people that you would never expect uh go through depression and anxiety and it's absolutely okay. It doesn't. It doesn't have to define who you are. It's just a part of your experience of life. I think. And as you said, running away from it or fighting it mm. was more exhausting. It was so exhausting. I was exhausted for eight years doing that. <laughs> <laughs> now you're like was. bouncing around yeah. your house. <laughs> yeah, sort of. Some doing days. sit ups and push ups and. <laughs> all the energy I, I have. should do more of that. <laughs> no, it's only because your children are eight and ten. Oh, no, sorry. Uh, uh, ten and six. Now. Ten and six now. Yeah. That you've... Yeah, I'm getting sleep. sleep. <laughs> Makes it a lot easier. What would be your advice um, if someone's listening and they think, I there's something's not quite right with me. Mm. It could be anxiety. It could be depression. They just might understand that they're not feeling quite right. What mm. would you say to them? I think I would say it's it's okay to feel like that, first of all. It's okay if you're not enjoying every minute of being a parent or enjoying it as much as you thought or you're not as connected with your child as you thought you might be. Uh, I think those expectations of ourselves can really weigh us down. Obviously, I'm going to say reach out for help, do what I didn't do. And... <laughs> They'll do it sooner than I did uh, because it is, in some ways, it is easier than it feels like it will be. Uh, and there are so many places to go. There's there's way more outlets now. Uh, there are great helplines. There's things like Panda, uh, Beyond Blue. There's your GP, particularly if you have a good relationship with your GP or your maternal child health nurse, uh, the people around you. And if you're not getting the answers, if if people are saying, oh, you'll be right, you'll be right, and your gut feeling is saying, no, but I don't think I am, then try another, try another person. It's a bit like when our children are sick and every all the doctors say, trust your instinct. Mm. So you wouldn't take your child to a GP and they say there's nothing wrong with them and you leave and say, it. Okay, then. All yeah. right, I'll just go home, yeah. even though I know there's something wrong. Yeah. Um, you, we need to... And you hear this with, with physical health too, you know, how many stories do you hear about uh, someone who's been diagnosed with breast cancer, for example, and it took them to go to, to two or three different doctors before someone would say, oh, yeah, okay, we'll do a test on that. But they've thought, oh, just I really need to get that checked out. And someone has, one doctor has said, oh no, you're too young for that, or no, it, it's nothing, and they persist. And it's the same with mental health. If you don't get the answer that you feel is right for you, it's okay to persist and, and find and the seek right another people. Outlet. Yeah, if someone, I know out there. One of the stories you say is that when you did call the mental health hotline, I was horrified. Yeah, uh, they basically said if you're not suicidal and you don't want to harm your baby, why are you calling me? Yeah, um, 
If you ever get that response, hang up and call someone else. Yes. Call Panda. There are other places, I think. Yeah. Yeah. There are people that will, yeah, that will take your suffering and pain and respect it the way it should be. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Megan, thank you so much for your honesty. It's a brilliant book. And I will say, even though it sounds uh, quite dark (laughs) material, it is a very entertaining book, very insightful. I I do have a bit of a laugh at myself (laughs) and the circumstances I found myself in in the uh, slightly kooky ways I tried to uh, convince myself I was fine. (laughs) Yes. And also now we should add before I let you go that um, you are enjoying life you're yes. managing the ups and downs and you are recovered from yeah. postnatal depression. I'm That's the main actually thing. actually fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and you're not lying. And I'm not lying now. Um, no, I, I stay on top of things as well. So I'm very aware now, of uh, you know, after years of experience <laughs> of what it feels like. Uh, yeah, it's great to be aware of of my own mental health. You're doing well. Yes. You're doing well. You're recovered and you're doing well. And that's what I think people need to take away. There is hope. And there's a a whole lot of good life out there after Mm. going through this stuff. Brilliant. Megan, thanks for your time Thanks, Siobhan. That's Megan Blanford, author of I'm Fine and Other Lies. Her book is out now. You'll find links where you can get a copy in the notes to this episode. And we'll also put up links to Panda and Beyond Blue. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced by Debbie Ning and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. We'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch, email us at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.